If you're living the days in the life of an ag teacher, then you'll fit right in. I'm your host, Carly Erickson, and I'm here to remind you to do what you love and love what you do. As always, thanks for listening and welcome to class. Today we're going to be talking about food facts versus fiction and how it can be a little complicated. We're going to focus on the soil science behind growing crops. Why is it important to have good soil? Why is it important to take care of the soil? And how do we do so in order to continue to have sustainable foods for the future? One of the main hot topics in agriculture surrounding our food system is world hunger. How are we going to fix world hunger? How are we going to solve these problems? What are we going to do to get there? How are we going to ensure that everybody has food that is nutritious and sustainable? Today we have the pleasure of speaking with Iowa State University professor Amber Anderson. Professor Anderson specializes in agronomy, specifically soil science, as well as teaches world food issues here at Iowa State. Professor Anderson, we are so excited to have you here with us today. Tell us more about your role here at Iowa State University. Well, I really enjoy my role here. I am an assistant teaching professor, so I'm primarily teaching, but I am also finishing a PhD, so I am doing some research there as well. My primary area is soil science, but I'm particularly interesting, uh, interested in where soil science intersects with food security, where it intersects with environmental issues, where it intersects with all of those social and people-related people, people related, um, areas. So I teach an uh, intro soils class. I teach a world food issues class, which I particularly enjoy. It is always a challenge. Uh, I have 60 some students in there and maybe I'll have 30 or 35 majors. So there's a lot of in knowledge and a lot of different perspectives in the room. And I really enjoy that sort of interaction. Along with coaching the soil judging team, Iowa State has a soil judging team uh, and doing a Costa Rica study abroad, which I'm also excited to do in March. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm sure that those different perspectives can definitely give you uh, a lot to work with in the class and your students are going to just learn and absorb all this different information and take it to their content area for sure. Well, and they have so much to teach me. They come from so many different areas that they have a lot of information that they can share with both me and the students and the other students. So I really enjoy the opportunity that this kind of unique opportunity that this class allows to have all those different backgrounds interacting. Yeah, that's great. Awesome. So let's say what, in your opinion, uh, what does the future of agriculture look like to you? Ideally, I <laughs> hope that our agricultural system realizes the importance of resilience so we have to be able to deal with all the extreme events that are going to be thrown our way, whether that be those extreme rainfall events, whether those be extreme droughts, uh, whether, those, whether that be um, other significant changes, as well as remember that human issues like conflict really impact our agriculture and our food system. So it's, while I would like the agricultural system to be a, able to solve our food problems, it's, it's not really that simple. So I hope that agriculture has uh, continues to come up with all kinds of creative ways to solve problems. And I'm excited because there's a lot of people with really good ideas. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that technology is going to play a large role in the future? Oh, absolutely. It has to, uh, I'm sure. But what we define as technology might be different. Right. So uh, maybe that technology is just being able to more effectively capture carbon in the soil. And while we might not always 
view that as a technology. We're using certain practices to enhance a particular thing. We're using a particular set of practices. And that, um, say, more soil carbon means there's less carbon in the atmosphere, means the soil organic matter is higher. And, and that gives us the ability to capture more water or hold on to more or, or maybe uh, have better soil structure so we can not have all of the water run off and we can hold it for when those droughts will inevitably come. Yeah, absolutely. And you're bringing up some issues that I think that most people uh, in the agriculture industry are dealing with. And so based on that, what would you say are some of the major issues that you're noticing having a large impact on world hunger? uh, And what can we do to help? Well, one of the places that I like to look, because I obviously don't feel like I'm uh, qualified to speak for the entire world, is the the Famine Early Warning System Network is a project of USAID and a couple different groups, and they publish regularly publish where they're most concerned about food insecurity. Right now, uh, as of February through May 2020, they're most concerned about South Sudan, Yemen, and Nigeria. And uh, in agriculture, we, we, again, like to think that we can solve it by just producing more. Those areas are not just a simple production. It's a complex interaction of political conflict and then the implications on the infrastructure and agriculture. Because if you're in one of those areas, it's not, uh, farming is an investment. You put some seed in the ground and you don't get a return tomorrow. And if you don't know if you're going to be here tomorrow, um, that will impact the agricultural system and what's grown and then what's able to transport with infrastructure and where that, uh, where that, where those supplies end up. It's not necessarily with those who most need it, who are most hungry, but um, might be with whoever's in power. So conflict in particular um, plays a bigger role than we sometimes remember. Mm -hmm, For sure. Um, So you mentioned to me earlier that you had just got back from Uganda And so what are some of the issues you've noticed there and what did you try to uh, do there when you were there, I guess, to help? Well, I was working on some basic soils research. Here in the U.S., we have soil surveys that are done regular or that have been done uh, from the 1930s up until more recently. So there's at least two for most of the counties in the U.S. or in Iowa, sometimes three. So we have a good idea of some of the soil resources there. Uh, In Uganda, there was a national soil survey done in the 60s, but there hasn't necessarily been a lot of research done. So I was looking at some of those aspects. So again, this is a really small little piece. Um, I can't, I can't, um, as an outsider in particular, be able to contribute that much, but it was as much of a learning process for me as it was anything else. Um, I'm learning about their soils. I can incorporate that into the Iowa State student classes and have a, be- have a bigger perspective that I can convey to them. So I was working on some basic research uh, within my group. So there were multiple students that went over to work on this under Dr. Burris, Dr. Lee Burris, and we were working on things like um, one of the students was working on low-cost opportunities or low-cost ways to use local products to get a soil survey result. So it might not be reasonable or might not be feasible for you to send a soil survey, a soil sample into your laboratory. It might cost too much. It just might not be uh, available to you. But if you can use something you can get for 10 cents at the local grocery store or at the local market, then to get some idea of, say, organic matter or uh, cation exchange capacity, great. We have a way to do that. Um, I was looking at some physical properties, looking at what the horizons look like, where those occur on the landscape. Uh, We're also looking at some uh, collecting the data and the location to add to uh, hopefully the global database. 
so that it, the next person who comes has more information than we did. Um, and really, really listening to the farmers who are fascinating and really knowledgeable. We don't necessarily think about this, but they've been farming there. Uh, this one farmer in particular I thought, thought was really fascinating. She had this area, she had plenty of land, so she this wasn't in heavy cultivation, but this particular area had termite mounds in them. I didn't recognize them at first because they were just big hills in the field. She said, oh no, these, termi these are termite mounds. They were here when she inherited the ground like 40 years ago. They've just grown a bit. Um, and the termite mounds, she actually said that those would be the most productive things for her to plant because uh, the, the pH looks like it's a little bit higher. And so when we were doing pH tests, the pH was a little bit higher in that area. And you had the, the infiltration, the water was a bit different. So I thought it was really fascinating that the results we got backed up what she said. That, that likely was a really productive area. And then she was talking about how corn or pumpkins would be a great thing to grow there. And again, this all matches up. So I, I thought that was rather interesting. Um, also, the problems that they're dealing with are far more complex here in Iowa, as we have frozen conditions today, <laughs> at least. Um, that wipes out some of our pest problems. She has termites. Um, she can't mulch because it'll be gone in a couple weeks. Um, right. She can't approach mulching the same way. She can't approach a variety of things the same way because her pest problems are different, her disease problems are different, and they're year-round. So rather than having uh, frost to kind of reset the system, they are coming up with other ways or they have to come up with other ways to solve their problems. So I think that their toolbox has a, has a different set of tools and I think that's a really interesting thing to learn about. Absolutely, and I think that that is what makes agriculture unique is that everywhere you go, it's a little bit different, but everybody's got tools that they can use. Yeah. You know what time it is. It's time for the Ag Career of the Day. Today's career falls under environmental science as a nutrient management specialist. According to environmentalscience.org, nutrient management specialists study current techniques used to raise and process food and try to find ways to improve them. As the need for sustainable farming continues, the demand for this career also increases. The average salary for this position is $58,610 annually. A bachelor's degree in an agricultural science-related field is generally required. And that's the Ag Career of the Day. So going off of that, um, what would you say are some of the best strategies for combating food insecurity locally and globally? This is going to take far more than I can talk about. Um, there are all kinds of really intelligent people working on some scientific pieces. There's people working on, uh, because just like you and I know that we should be eating more vegetables, it's really hard to eat that. So knowledge isn't going to do it. It's not going to cut it. Right. Um, so we aren't necessarily going to get a better diet just because of that. So there's biofortification projects that are increasing the nutrient content in what we eat. Uh, we don't necessarily think about that from a corn perspective, but um, I think that might be something we consider more of in the future. It's the nutritional content rather than just how much food we're producing. Um, an additional piece, strategies are also going to have to consider far more than just production. We know that calories produced per person are more than needed, so clearly there's, a there's an issue there. We know that like 820 million or so as of 2018, are undernourished or hungry. Um, we know that the number was coming down until 2015, and that has gone back up. It's just under 11% right now, but due to population growth has gone back up a bit. 
Um, even 327 million of those uh, who don't have regular food access to safe, nutritious, sufficient food. So about 8% of the North American and Europe population would still fall in that. So even though we are producing a lot in the U.S., it's not necessarily getting to even those in our own area who need it. And then we still have issues with obesity. So 2 billion adults overweight, but we also have 2 billion that don't have regular access to the safe, nutritious, sufficient food. So um, it's a far more complex thing than you can answer in in a (laughs) podcast. But uh, solutions are going to have to be multifaceted because we're going to have to figure out how to um, make sure that all of those are fed. Make sure so things that we might not think about would be like education level in some in some populations. Education level the higher the education level, the decrease in food insecurity. So the the better off, particularly the education level of women. So again, some things that we might not think about, um, how agricultural policy impacts these things, how our trade impacts these things, how um, we as U.S. consumers might impact other areas' food security. If another population is choosing to grow flowers or fruit for something that they don't necessarily consume, that has an impact on the local food production, local food system. So we're interconnected. Uh, We're highly interconnected, but sometimes we forget that that comes with drawbacks as well as opportunities. And the, um, I hope we can take advantage of that interconnectedness to make sure that um, we can start to, we can feed those or distribute the food to those who actually need it. So again, we're producing enough calories, but it's just not getting there, whether that be food waste or conflict or other barriers, just financial barriers, because they're not able to afford it, that prevent those who are hungry from getting the food that we have abundantly. Right. Absolutely. Um, I, so I know we it's pretty natural to talk about some of the negatives and some of the disadvantages. So what would you say are some of the advantages of our modern day food production? Well, we know how to produce a lot of food. Um, we have technology that means that I can um, see like I was just in Uganda and I can see those farmer tools and I can talk to them about what I know and they can talk to me about what they know. And then I bring it back to Iowa State and we can see how we can get all of these different tools or how that tool might apply here. So I'm really excited that technology in agriculture in particular, we have the ability to exchange information, to learn really quickly. We don't have to memorize these things. We know that we can come in contact with really innovative ways of doing things just by nature of our technology. Um, We also have uh, clearly look at the production in the state. We know how to do this. Uh, I don't think anyone has a question that we know how to produce a lot. Um, But I don't think that's the question anymore. I think the question is, uh, what should we be producing? Like, how should we be producing that? Do we want, what do we, what do we value as a state? Do we want um, a lot of young farmers on the ground? Because thousand acre grain farms are probably not the way to do that. Um, but that's what our current system is set up for. It's going to take far more uh, agricultural policy to change that, but uh, we as a state, I guess, should need to figure out what our values are. We're really good at, at doing exactly what that ag policy has set us up to do, um, but I don't know if that's the best thing for Iowa in the future, so we as a community, I guess, need to think about that. So are you seeing in your classes that your students are coming in with different perspectives of what a farm should be or shouldn't be? I find it really interesting and kind of exciting that there are non-traditional 
agriculture majors. So there's people, students who are not from farms who are really interested in agriculture and they don't come in with the same biases necessarily. So they have new ideas. They have new, they haven't been told like, you can't do that. So um, their new energy and uh, combined with some of the traditional agriculture is a really interesting intersection. And I hope that we leverage that to um, to build a better system and to use more. We have all these different diverse ideas and the more different people we look at or the more different people contribute to it, the better off we are to be able to solve this problem. The more people have bring their own tools in, the more likely we're able to have the tool that we need to solve, tools that we need to solve this problem. It's going to be a complex thing. It's not going to be a single a one hammer sort of solve all the problems with this one tool sort of thing. Like, like maybe we have uh, relied on in the past, but um, I find it really interesting. We don't necessarily think about it. The 1920s, Iowa produced all kinds of different crops. Uh, on at least so, on at least one percent of the farms, you had a variety of fruits: apples, cherries, plums, grapes, uh, strawberries, pears, things like that. That we don't necessarily think of. Even currants, uh, gooseberries. Again, pro- products that are not available. So it's not that we can't do it. We can. Iowa's produ- Iowa's landscape is really productive. Um, it's a matter of getting the the knowledge and the energy, and if we have the motivation to do that. So, like, if I, ag says yes, we want you to grow all these things, we can. Um, it's just going to take the the policy to set behind uh, and the labor and all the adjustments infrastructure to be able to do that again. Yeah, absolutely. So I I really think it's going to take manpower in lots of different forms to yes, make things absolutely. like that happen. Absolutely. Um, so what challenges will we continue to face if we do not address these issues in the future? Uh, I see continued human suffering. We know that 820 million, again, 820 million people, according to the FAO, Food and Agriculture Organization, 2019 state of food security, um, have issues with hunger. And only 2 billion and 2 billion have issues with food security. So that's a lot of people. Uh, we know that there's continued conflict. We know that there's issues with water. All of those things will combine, and if our agricultural system can't get it right, that human suffering is likely to increase. So we're definitely seeing an increase, I would say, in people wanting to know where their food comes from, how their food is grown, is it going to be sustainable long term. Um, and we are, we know that our students are creative. We know that our students are capable. Um, so what are some things that you've seen your students do that has been really innovative or that you think is going to be really innovative in the future? Well, I'm just excited that people are, again, interested in where their food comes from because then you have opportunities for more localized systems like we might have seen in the past, like community-supported agriculture, where you have um, a farm that's on a much smaller scale that uh, has a direct buy-in to their consumers, has that direct connection, um, gets the vegetables weekly from their farmer and mm-hmm. hands them with a smile or whatever. Uh, and those those interactions, those human interactions that build community, aren't necessarily uh, as present in the larger agricultural system. So these interesting ways to build stronger communities and to come up with creative ways to make a living in agriculture when traditionally right now you'd have to have a a large capital investment, which isn't necessarily feasible if you're a 21-year-old or an 18-year-old or something. It's really not a, a feasible thing. So the idea that they're coming up with really creative alternative ways to make sure that their community is better and they're also meeting needs of their community as far as or demand in their community for food, that they're paying attention to that uh, is really exciting and it's really interesting to me that these that there's creative people coming up with more and more solutions to problems. 
Absolutely. Well, Professor Anderson, thank you so much for being here with us today and sharing your views on this topic. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me.